So if you've got a Bible, grab that with me. And uh, we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're a guest with us today, we're especially glad that you're here. And if we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that. Uh, for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're worshiping with us as well. And if you need anything, you can type that in the comments and we'll try to help you out there as well. So we've been in this new series that we started just last week called We Are Harvest. And we're just kind of looking, once again, reminding ourselves, refreshing ourselves on who we are as a church. What are we all about? What is our focus? What is our, what is our purpose um, as a church family that's serving the Lord and going after what he's called us to do? And so last week we talked about our mission of making disciples. And then today, in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about our four pillars. These are the foundations of who we are and what we're all about and what we believe the Bible calls us to as a gospel-centered church. So today I want to talk about unapologetic preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When I was a teenager, uh, I would go around and mow lawns of like family and friends and neighbors to make some money and, and you know, just kind of get some cash. And I didn't, I, wasn't, like, I didn't have like my own lawn mowing business like some of the kids today like with all their fancy equipment and the trailers and stuff. Like I, it was just me like walking up and being like, hey, can I mow your lawn? And so I usually end up using whatever push mower was available, either from our house or their house or whatever it was, and just would do it that way. And but I'll never forget the first time I went to mow at this one person's house, and um, I um, was introduced to the modern marvel that was the self-propelled mower. Anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? Like, well, I never had one of those before. I didn't even know what it was. In fact, I was trying to mow with it like a normal mower, and you're trying to, like, push against the like the, and it wasn't working, and so he finally comes out and shows me the little magical lever on the side that engages the, the self-propulsion, and it just, it just, it just goes. All I, got, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to push. I didn't have to give it any of my own power. I just had to guide it as it did its thing, because all the power that I needed was already in the mower. Are you tracking with me this morning? That's the way that we think about preaching at Harvest. I don't have to do anything extra all the power we need to change our hearts and change our lives and transform our communities is already right here in the Word of God. We just have to open it up and let it speak and let lives and hearts be changed by the power of God. And so that's what we talk about when we talk about unapologetic preaching here at Harvest. That's one of our pillars. Proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Did you catch that first part of the phrase? The authority of God's word. The authority is in, the power is in the word of God. Not in the preacher, not in the preaching, not in all the extra stuff that we, we do. It's in the Lord, it's in his word. And so my job each Sunday when I get up here is not to convince you of something. It's, it's not to entertain you, it's not to manipulate you. It's simply to open up God's word and let his power move as we read it and study it together. So here's the main thought that I think we can pull from Paul's section here in Corinthians chapter 2 today. Unapologetic preaching changes lives through the power of God. Unapologetic preaching changes lives through the power of God. So with that in mind, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. Here we go. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's the first thing we see about unapologetic preaching from this passage. It is, number one, unapologetic in message. Point number one, unapologetic in message. So Paul starts off here and he says, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, he's not saying he didn't proclaim the testimony of God at all. Right? He's not saying, I didn't preach to you. I didn't tell you about God. Or, that's not what he's saying. He said, I didn't do it like this. Right? Lofty speech or wisdom. He's talking primarily, this section right here is talking about the method of his preaching. But in the midst of talking about the method, which we're going to get to in a second, first he deals with, I want to look at the message that Paul preached through his methods. He said, I came proclaiming to you the testimony of God. It's an interesting phrase there. The definition of the word testimony is simply telling or recounting facts or an experience. Like, like think about um, uh, when you go to court, right? You get up and you give your testimony and you're telling them the truth about what you saw or what you heard or what you experienced. You're, you're giving a witness to the truth of what happened. That's a testimony. Um, In church, we might ask you to stand up and give a testimony about what God's done in your life. And that's your chance to tell the truth about what God has been doing in and through you. But right here, this testimony is not of man. He says that he came proclaiming the testimony of God. So if a testimony is a witness to the truth, what Paul's saying is, I came and I told you what God says is true. Not what man says is true, not what I think is true, not whatever's the the hot um, idea at the moment. I came to tell you the testimony of God, what God says is true and what he says is not. That is preaching. It's simply recounting or proclaiming what God says, not what man says. It's not the latest philosophy. It's not... Um, some new idea I came up with this week to, to share with you today. It's not whatever the culture says is hot at the moment, which seems to change by the minute. It's saying what God says and what his word says, regardless of the popularity of what that looks like. And I think it's easy for a church like ours, who does highly value the word of God and the preaching of the word of God, to read a passage like this and be like, yeah, that's right. And point fingers at other churches, right, that we think are doing it wrong, right? Like, you know, the, uh, the prosperity gospel and how that distorts and it's heretical. And, and it's easy for us to point at other people and say, that's not really preaching. That's not really the word of God, the testimony of God. But what if we paused for a second and we maybe took a look inward and said, are there some ways that maybe we sometimes neglect the testimony of God? Have you ever been in a Bible study or a small group and you've heard someone share, they're like, yeah, you know, I I was reading this passage this week and and what this verse means to me is yada, yada, yada. Only to turn around and have the next person say, well, what that verse means to me is da, 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 da. And yet they don't seem to line up. (laughs) Tell me I'm not the only one who's ever had this experience. Come on now, right? That's not the way it works. The text of God, the scriptures, have one meaning. God's meaning. We don't get to decide what we think it means. God said it, 
to mean something, and that's the only thing the text means. It can have multiple applications. There can be a myriad of ways that we might take the meaning of a text and apply it to our life or apply it to a situation, and that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the text means one thing, and it means the testimony of God, what God says is true. I don't get to infuse it with whatever I think it means. So preaching is about the testimony of God, Paul says, which tells me that preaching must be God-centered, not man-centered. Or let me say it like this. God's word must be the starting point, not the ending point of preaching. This is so key, because a lot of times... Different churches, different pastors will address the same issues, the same topics, the same sins and problems and things that our world has in it. But where we start, when we start crafting and building that sermon to deliver, makes all the difference in the world. You can talk about the exact same topic, but if you start from God's word, then you can declare the testimony of God. If you start from man's ideas and just tack God's word on at the end, we're going to go sideways really quick. There's an approach to preach. There's, there's a, this is why we approach preaching the way that we do here at Harvest, right? We don't start primarily with man's questions and then build a topical series around the hot questions or concerns and then try to give you my advice on whatever question or issue you're dealing with and then tack some Bible verses onto the end of it. That's not what we call preaching. There's nothing wrong with a topical message. There's nothing wrong with addressing an issue that people are actually dealing with. But it's a matter of where do we start. We start with God's word, not with just the question or the idea. We should address cultural issues. We should address sinful habits and needs and issues in our people's lives because that's what the God, word of God does. It gives us truth that helps us in life. And if they, people don't hear it at church, where are they going to ever hear it? So it should address these things, but it should start with God's word and not with us. And the other problem with always building sermons or preaching around the questions of men is that there will be some questions that never get answered. Because in our sinful hearts, there are some questions that we will never ask. If I'm hiding in my sin, if I'm always focused on my stuff and not looking at the word of God or the person of God, there's some things that I'm never going to ask because I don't want to know the answers. And so if we're going to preach the full counsel of God, we have to start with the word of God and then apply it to today's issues and questions. That is preaching. That is life-changing preaching. Now listen, if you've been around Harvest at all for very long, you know we are not anti-application, right? I try to give you application every week of here's how you apply God's word to your life because I don't want you walking around like a bunch of big Bible fatheads where you know it all, but you're not actually doing anything with it. We want to apply God's word. We should apply God's word. We're not anti-application. We're anti-appropriation. You know the difference? Appropriation is taking God's word and using it for my agenda and my issues and manipulating the text to make it mean or say what I want it to say to get where I want to get. We don't do that. We start with God's word. We let it read us. And then we apply that to our lives in a way that follows his meaning. So preaching is about the testimony of God, so therefore it's God-centered. And 
preaching exalts the sufficiency of God's word without turning it into our spiritual Google. You know what I'm talking about? Right? What do you do anytime you have a question these days? Google. And sometimes we approach the Bible like that. I got a question. What's the Bible say? Which isn't a bad idea, but here's the issue. All right, God's word is sufficient for all that we need in life and in our spiritual walk. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So the Bible tells us that what we need is in here. But when we approach it as this Q&A document where we can just pull out a verse to answer whatever simple question we have in the moment, we, do, we can oftentimes distort God's word. When you're like, should I go see this movie or not? Let's see what the Bible says. Guess what? That movie title is nowhere in your Bible. God's not going to tell you to see that movie or not. Now, does he give you some principles that you can then wisely apply to discern whether or not that's a correct movie for you to go see? Absolutely. But this Bible is not written to answer every little simple or, or, or odds and end question that you might have. Because, and this is key, this Bible is not about you. This Bible was not written primarily for you. This Bible is about God and his glory and who he is. And when we look at him and the reflection of who he is in his word, that's what gives us what we need to address the issues and sins and concerns of our life. But that has to be done in the context of Scripture. So we don't just go grab individual verses out of context and ignore the fullness of God's Word. Again, I think we've probably all seen this. Maybe we've even been guilty of this at times, if we're really being honest. One that just popped in my head this week that I thought was fairly common. You see it on bio, you see it on t-shirts and, and mugs and and scripture postings on your Facebook walls and, and Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. And we're like, yeah, yeah, God. And then you read the rest of chapter 29, <laughs> and it's about God disciplining and chastising his people and saying, I'm going to punish you for the sin that you have done, but down the road, I'll bring you back. That's what he's saying. And yet we take that verse and we write it on the graduation card, and we're like, oh, we're so happy. Congratulations, Jeremiah 29, 11. Forget the rest of the chapter. Just, like, maybe we should just be like, and go read the rest of the chapter. That would be awesome. Just put that on the graduation card next time. Just be like, you know, go read this. But when we do that, we're doing it with the best intentions, but we're missing the point because we're taking God's word and trying to make it this FAQ for what we think is the momentary thing in our life instead of looking at the fullness of God's word and starting here and then moving out to whatever it is we're dealing with. God's word is the only source that has true answers to all of our problems. And so if we don't preach it in its fullness here in the church, people will not find the answers they need anywhere else. So we have to be about this. So Paul says, I came preaching to you the testimony of God. And then in the next sentence, he even gives a little bit more detail as to what that is. He says, Christ and him crucified. Because Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection is the apex of all of Scripture. The entire testimony of God points to him. Old Testament, New Testament. Every law, every story, every, every um, parable, every teaching, it all ultimately points back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul is saying this is the center of what we do. And the reason all of it points to Christ is because every story of man, you and I and every ancestor before us, has been the exact same story since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. A story of men and women who are born with sinful hearts and sinful desires that choose to go our own way and to rebel against God and and to cast off his loving care and guidance and say, no, I got this. I'm going to do it my way. And we rebel against the holy God of the universe. As a result of that, we deserve his wrath and punishment. We deserve eternity and hell separated from him. But in his gracious love towards us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and be crucified, as Paul has just said. To go to the cross, to to come and be born as a man, to live a perfect sinless life, and then go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To stand in my place and to take the punishment for my sin upon himself. To pay the debt that I owed to be made right with the God of the universe again. And he was crucified, and then he was buried. And three days later, as we just sang, he rose back to life. And he showed us that he was God. He showed us that he conquered sin. He conquered death. And now he offers us an opportunity to be rescued from our sin, to be forgiven, and to be made whole with God again. To be back in right relationship with the Holy God and to have eternity with him. Paul says, I came declaring to you the testimony of God. Christ and him crucified. Because the gospel is the only way that the rest of the testimony of God makes any sense. If Christ wasn't at the center, the rest of this book would would not work. It all hinges on the grace and the forgiveness of Christ and him crucified. So preaching must not only be God centered, but Paul's saying here it also must be Christ centered. And he said, he goes as far as to say this. I just want to address this statement real quick because I think it's important. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. That's a strong statement. Nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And some have interpreted that to mean that Paul literally never preached anything, never taught anything other than Christ, the story of Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection. That's all Paul ever talked about or ever preached. But a simple reading of the Bible, like the book we just did the whole year in, in the book of Acts, and his teaching in Acts, and his teaching in his letters, and proves that obviously that's not true. Paul taught lots of other things, and he preached lots of other things about how to follow Christ, and how to to live a godly life, and how to apply the gospel in different situations. And so if that's not what Paul did, then what is Paul saying here? Paul even went as far to include illustrations and writings and quotes from non-Christians and non-biblical sources at times in his teaching and in his writing and preaching. So clearly here, Paul is not saying that he's anti-intellectualism. He's not, anti-forsa- or he's not for forsaking all other knowledge and all other wisdom. 
However, what we see throughout all of his writings is that whenever Paul did preach or teach something, it was always connected to and in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's still tied back to Christ crucified. That was still the center of whatever else Paul was saying to his people. No matter the topic, no matter the issue, Paul made Christ the center of his response and the center of his preaching, which tells me that good biblical gospel preaching means that Christ is always the key ingredient, singular thread, and unifying idea in preaching. This is unapologetic preaching. The message is centered in God and centered in his son. My wife, Courtney, one of her um, beloved movies throughout the years has been My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, it's kind of an older movie now. Some of you may not have seen it. You might want to go check it out. It's a pretty, pretty funny uh, movie. It's about this very proud, um, very close, very Greek family uh, that's living here in the States. And uh, one of my favorite characters is the father. He is kind of the patriarch of the family. And uh, so he's kind of holding it all together. And he loves his family. And he loves his Windex. And he loves his Greek heritage, his Greek um, upbringing. And so throughout the movie, he's always trying to prove to everyone that everything comes back to the Greeks. Right? It all started with the Greeks. And this is his famous line. He says, give me a word, any word. And I show you that the root of that word is Greek. He believes with his whole heart that everything, that the answer to every question, every issue, all of it goes back to the Greeks. For us as Christians, our answer is that every issue, every question, everything we deal with always goes back to Christ. To Christ crucified. He is the center of all of it. He's the answer to all of it. And so we trace it back to him to him alone. That's the central message of the Bible, and so that needs to be the central message of preaching. Unapologetic preaching always keeps God's testimony and God's Son at the center. God's testimony and God's Son at the center. So unapologetic preaching is first unapologetic in message, and then number two, look at verses one through three again. It says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Unapologetic preaching, number two, is also unapologetic in methods. In methods. So again, he says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. What's he talking about there in that phrasing? Well, Paul's referring to what we would normally call today human rhetoric, right? It's the art of speaking with persuasion and reasoning skills and being articulate and making an argument. And it was one of the highest virtues in the Roman and Greek culture, right? They, they loved rhetoric. They loved um, to, 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 to really raise this up as this great virtue of humans um, in their culture. And so rhetoric in that culture, in the Roman and Greek culture, had three major values, that they clung to. Number one, they loved rhetoric for entertainment. They would actually just go, and one of their major pastimes was to go and to listen to people give speeches and talks about different topics and debates, and like they didn't have Netflix, right? So they, they went and they would watch people talk for hours. 
And this was entertainment for them. It would, it would draw all kinds of crowds. It had this great allure to get people together. So it was a value for entertainment. It was value for a competition. They would use rhetoric to prove their superiority over one another, to dominate, if you will, and to prove that I can outspeak you, I can outargue you in this issue. And so it became a, a central area of pride and control for a lot of people in this culture. And then thirdly, it was a value for status. Because if you were really good with human rhetoric, if you were a really good speaker, you could make a name for yourself. And you could get a following. And you could get prestige. And you could get status. And it was a big deal in that time period. And so when Paul says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom, he's saying, listen, all these other guys out here, all these other communicators you're used to listening to, I didn't come like that. I didn't come to entertain you. I didn't come to try to compete for your attention. I didn't come to try to get some status with you. That's not how I preached, he says. Now, again, let's just qualify here. Paul is not anti-good communication. He's not anti-good communication methods. The Bible doesn't do that. It doesn't talk about that. In fact, if you look at Jesus, when he went around teaching and preaching, a lot of times he did it with parables. Why? Because parables and stories make the teaching more sticky. They make it more memorable. It's a communication technique that's good. Jesus used stories and human, or humor to, to make his teaching more relatable and to tear down walls and to pull down people's defenses so they would really listen to what he was saying. Paul, he uses logic profusely throughout his writings. If you've ever read the book of Romans, <laughs> like you know it's one of the most logically complicated books that we, that's ever been written. It's good communication. Paul uses stories and illustrations throughout his letters and throughout his, his preaching and acts to make his points. Paul is not anti-good communication skills. But what he's saying here is that good communication skills are not bad. They're just secondary. Right? They're not the main thing. They're not the purpose of preaching. They're good when they support rather than distract from the message. They're good when they highlight the Messiah rather than the messenger. That's the purpose. I, I've said this multiple times. We say this at Harvest often. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. Our methods must highlight and lift up the message, not the messenger. That's what Paul's saying here. I wasn't, he said, I'm not trying to show off to you. I'm not trying to exalt myself. I'm trying to tell you about Jesus. And he goes on to explain even further. He says, because I came to you when in weakness. Now, we know throughout Paul's letters that Paul had some type of deficiency. Right? He had some type of, of, of issue. We're not sure what it is. It could have been some type of physical health issue. Um, it could have been an, an, a lack of ability. Some people say he just wasn't a very good speaker. Like, he just wasn't a strong place for him. Um, some people say it was his personality. Like, he just had, like, didn't get along well with people all the time. We don't really know exactly what it was. But Paul had some type of deficiency, some type of weakness, he calls it here. But the key is he didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to fake it and, and try to cover up his weakness. No, he says, I was real with you. I was authentic. I came to you in weakness because then you knew it wasn't me. It was Christ in me doing the preaching. God uses our weaknesses to show his strength and his power through us. And Paul was all about that. He says, I came to you not with all the the lofty speech and wisdom, I came to you in weakness and, he says, in fear and much 
trembling. Now Paul's talking about the status of his heart. This is the right, humble response to being in awe and being inspired by the majesty of God. Paul knew who the Lord was. And those who are called to serve the Lord do, do so not proudly or with this air of superiority, but rather must come with humble hearts of awe of who God is and his glory in their midst. Preaching, teaching, sharing God's word is a weight. It's a trust from the Lord, and it cannot be taken lightly. That's what Paul is talking about here. Preachers, teachers, all of us who disciple others, we will be held accountable by the Lord for every word we say, for everything we teach. Because this is a trust from the Lord, and it carries grave responsibility. Paul feels that. He says, I was with you with much fear and trembling because I know, I know the weight of what God's called me to do. So good preaching must be approached humbly and fully submitted to God's way, not man's way. The methods have to be about him and not about us. That's how we tap into the power. This past week, um, I was in my car and I was trying to use um, one of the power outlets in the car for my more seasoned listeners, the cigarette lighter. Okay? Some of you younger kids, you don't even know that's what it was. That, but. So I was trying to use the power outlet and it wasn't working. Everything I plugged in, I tried like three different devices and none of them were working. And so I go and try them in the van, our other vehicle, and they were working fine in there. So it wasn't the devices, so I was like, it's something wrong with the car. So I start checking the fuses, and I change out the fuses to see if that fixes it, and that doesn't fix it. And then I'm, you know, I'm, I turn the car off and back on to see if it kind of resets something in the computer or whatever, and that doesn't help. And then, of course, I still can't fix it, so what do we all do? YouTube. And so I looked on YouTube, like, what, what am I missing here, and what's the, how, what's the fix for this? And couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. So finally, I'm looking closer, and I look down in the power outlet, and down in the very end of it where the tip of the device, like, you know, connects to get the power, there was like this black residue, like this kind of like black stuff covering up the, the end of it. And so I was like, well, that's probably not good. And so I went and got a Q-tip and some alcohol, and I kind of stick it down there. I'm kind of rubbing and clean all that black stuff off. And I plug the device back in, and voila, we have power. I did turn the car off before I put the wet Q-tip down in there. But just by the way, this, don't want you to like go home and do this and miss that step. That's important, okay? So, but plug it in, voila, it all works. And so... It wasn't a power issue, right? The power was already there. It was always there in the car. It was ready to go. But there was something blocking the power from getting from the car to the device. There was something in the way. And once I got that stuff out of the way, the power was able to flow. That's what good preaching looks like. It's opening up the power of God's word and then getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit do the work of applying the word to the people's hearts so the power can flow. Good preaching is not about some methods that build up or make us think the preacher is awesome. It's about holding up the word of God and letting it flow through the humble weakness of men. 
So many churches today, unfortunately, believe that we've got to entertain people to get them in here. We've got to compete with the other things of this world to, to, to get people to come in the doors and to be a part of the church. Or they go to the other extreme and they use preaching as this goal to, to build their name and build their status and, and, to, and to, to build their money or whatever it looks like. And Paul says that's not real preaching. Real preaching comes as we simply open up the word of God and we humbly proclaim it so he and his power can change the hearts of the people. Unapologetic preaching uses methods that exalt the Messiah, not the messenger. Exalt the Messiah, not the messenger. So unapologetic preaching is unapologetic in message, in methods, and then one more thing. Look at verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Unapologetic preaching is also unapologetic in mission. In mission. Paul again, he says, I didn't come to you with plausible words of wisdom, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. The mission of preaching is not about men. It's not about preaching for, to gain people's approval. It's not about building a crowd. It's not about creating a, a holy huddle where we can all get together and be safe here. It's not about growing a budget or growing a building. Preaching is not about us. It's not to make a name for ourselves or to build a legacy or a reputation. It's not to earn a paycheck. It's the mission of preaching is about God. Who he is and where he's calling us to go with him. His name, his kingdom, his glory. That's the mission of preaching. We preach the testimony of God in Christ because preaching is about God, not about men. But then Paul says this, he says, not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that you might have faith in the power of God. The mission of unapologetic preaching is to build the church of God full of, of his spirit and his power. When the spirit of God and the power of God is moving and working in the midst of the church, nothing will stop it. And disciples will be made, and the church will go forth, and the kingdom will grow, because God is at work. It's all about him. It's never about us. Only God's word preached through God's spirit and God's power can change lives for eternity. Only God's word preached through God's spirit and God's power can change lives for eternity. That is the kind of preaching that God desires. And so that is the kind of preaching that will always be a pillar of harvest. 
unapologetic preaching changes lives through the power of God. The Bible says that the word of God will not return void. That it always accomplishes its purpose. God does and he will accomplish all that he desires through the preaching of his word if we will just get out of the way and let him work. So every Sunday here at Harvest, that's precisely what we're going to do. We're going to continue to open up God's word. We're going to walk through the scriptures verse by verse, point by point, and let God change our lives through his spirit and his power. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. Sing to our Lord today. Heavenly Father, God, we just bow before you now. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave it up to us to figure out how to do this. Lord, that you have a plan. You have a perfect way in which you are calling us to follow you and to love you. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the glorious truth of your word and the testimony of your son. We thank you for salvation and redemption and reconciliation that we have through Christ crucified. Lord, we recognize today that we have nothing to offer you. Lord, we have, we have nothing to bring. We can add nothing to your mighty power of the gospel. So we simply submit ourselves to your word. We submit ourselves to your way. You are the light in our darkness. Lord, you are the hope for the hopeless. You are the strength for the weary and so we stand on your word. We stand with you unapologetically and proclaim your word, oh God. Change us by the power of your word. I pray all this in Christ's name.